Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. Today is Saturday, May 8th, 2021. We will be pre-recording a show to be aired this Monday, May 10th, 2021, from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. At koop.org, many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. This is our 55th post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Pedro Gatos and bringing light into darkness Monday news and analysis since we began broadcasting on Co-op Radio in 2002. Has been investigating and seeking to present genuine truth-seeking perspectives of how U.S. foreign policy impacts majority populations around the world. We also seek to identify other human-generated behaviors that either create or aggravate human misery outcomes in the world that by definition are preventable and therefore reversible. Over the past 18 years, our record speaks to the veracity of our reporting. The impact of U.S. foreign policy in the world, on the world, population, is unrivaled in reach and in impact. Our presumption is that the U.S. population is a compassionate and social justice-driven people, that if we know the truth of the matter, we support policies that promote the most fair and democratic outcomes. The problem is, too often, we are misinformed by our government and our mainstream media. Therefore, this show is dedicated to critically evaluating all information before accepting it as believable and as worthy for becoming the foundation for building our worldview understandings upon. Tonight, our show continues our discussion on the unreliability of intelligence that's made public to us by our government and the media. We are excited to have missile expert and physicist Dr. Theodore Postel guide us through this discussion tonight. Stay tuned. Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis. Today is Friday, May the 7th, 2021, and we are pre-recording a show that will be broadcast live at 6 p.m. on Monday, May the 10th from 6 to 7 p.m. on your community radio station, 91.7 FM. We are very blessed to have Dr. Theodore Postel returning to Bringing Light into Darkness. Dr. Postel, welcome back to Bringing Light into Darkness. Wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we are really blessed. People that follow this show know that we study foreign policy issues, often probably 75% of our shows. So many issues are connected to wars getting started or conflicts within third countries being promoted in the primary interest, not of those countries, but in the interest of promoting the most lucrative investment climates for our multinational corporations. That is what a close study of U.S. foreign policy history has taught me. 
wars getting started on different types of pretenses and alleged pretenses. And Dr. Poso is a, a physicist. He's a missile expert. It's a fascinating bio that you have, Dr. Posto. I ran across your testimony many years ago on the Patriot missiles. Yeah. Uh, where you testified before Congress, and, and, and of course, you've testified often since then as well. Dr. Posta worked as a scientific and policy advisor to the chief of naval operations, basically the chief of naval operations in the United States, if you don't know, and I didn't know, commands more ships, more planes, and more people under arms than the combined forces of the UK, France, and Germany. What I particularly wanted to talk about tonight is so often we go to war or, or things are presented and we're getting these intelligence reports indicating that there's a certain level of, of confidence in their claims or findings. And what's interesting to me, I remember when, when I was growing up, Dr. Postal, there was a television show called Truth or Consequences. And it, the basis of the show was they would give a fairly complicated issue and the guest person there would make up an answer that would either be correct or incorrect. And then the person at the show had to guess if it was the truth or not the truth. And that's really what it feels like. When you read the reports, it's easy for a lay reader, the U.S. public, to believe something to be true, which in fact may lack the evidence of its claims or contain inherent contradictions. I've learned so much from your writings as a missile expert, uh, you and your partner. Richard Lloyd. Yeah, yeah, Dr. Lloyd, who was also a weapons inspector, I believe, too, and then worked for Tesla. But anyhow, I know he passed a while back. But the work that you do is so important because you have, and we're going to talk about how you do it, have been able to point out contradictions that most of us would never even see and do it in an empirical way because that's what physics is, like gravity. <laughs> when, you pen, yeah. when the pen rolls off the table, it doesn't hit the ceiling. It hits the floor. But that being said, I wanted to start the show off with a little excerpt. For those that are not aware, there's been a number of chemical attacks in the years in Syria. The question is, whose responsibility are they more than anything else? And I'm thinking about March 19th, 2013, Khan al-Assal, Syria, uh, there was a, a pretty major attack in which some 20 people died. Later that year, the famous August 21st, 2013 attack in Damascus, Syria, in which the U.S. government led by John Kerry claimed with absolute certainty that it was the Assad government that had launched those attacks. Later in 2017 of April 4th in Kanshikam, Syria, there was another attack which resulted in an immediate retaliation of Tomahawk missiles by Donald Trump, despite the absence of any type of real investigation to, to assure who was the guilty party. And then lastly, a year later, in, in April of 2018, the Duma Syria attack. Just to kind of set the stage, those are some of the major attacks. And, and you actually have just recently, within the last eight months or so, been invited and, and then testified at the uh, UN Security Council on the 2017 attack. But to start, I wanted to go back to the 2013 Damascus El Guta attack and just play this first minute and I think it's about a minute and 10 seconds of John Kerry's introduction during his testimony at the Senate Foreign Relations Committee hearing on September 3rd, 2013 and then make some comments and have you then speak to the work that you and Dr. Lloyd did to get at the truth of that matter. 
Let me go ahead and play this. Our intelligence community has scrubbed and re-scrubbed the evidence. We have declassified unprecedented amounts of information, and we ask the American people and the rest of the world to judge that information. We have physical evidence of where the rockets came from and when. Not one rocket landed in regime-controlled territory. Not one. All of them landed in opposition-controlled or contested territory. We have a map, physical evidence, showing every geographical point of impact, and that is concrete. We are certain that none of the opposition has the weapons or capacity to effect a strike of this scale, particularly from the heart of regime territory. Just think about it in logical terms, common sense. So my colleagues, we know what happened. For all the lawyers, for all the former prosecutors, for all those who have sat on a jury, I can tell you that we know these things beyond the reasonable doubt that is the standard by which we send people to jail for the rest of their lives. So that was John Kerry back in 2013 at the United States uh, Senate Committee on Foreign Relations on September 3rd, uh, 2013. And he makes a number of comments, and this testimony went on for hours, and I, I remember being affixed to it. And we'll talk about some of the other representations or, or misrepresentations that Mr. Kerry made, and we've done it on other shows. But Kerry says, Our intelligence community has scrubbed and re-scrubbed the evidence. And I thought what was interesting and immediately made me suspicious of the findings Kerry was sharing First off, I know that you are familiar with the National Intelligence Estimate, and that's done by all 16 intelligence agencies. So the big, the first big red flag for me coming out of the gates with this whole thing, Dr. Postal, for me, was that there was no NIE, that there was actually a report put together by the, by the White House staff. I'm not sure exactly who was involved with that, but it did not come from the NIE because part of the NIE process is that there is room for dissent, just like the Supreme Court decision, you know, where you can have a dissenting judge share why they didn't go along with the deal. But so none of that was even allowed. And it was just striking to me that as a result of potentially going to war, no one, none of the media questioned the absence of this NIE. So there's about six or seven things he says there. And I just thought I would ask you to maybe just speak to the absence of the NIE first and some of the other glaring things that you felt were important for people to focus on to understand and prepare ourselves in order to not be led to war or led into a conflict without quality information and certainty on important issues? Well, let me start. It's hard for me to talk about the process of an NIE because I don't know what process led to this report. If anybody knew what they were doing, which includes the director of national intelligence at the time, James Clapper, who I think did not could not have known what he was doing or knowingly promulgated false information. I don't know which. Anybody who knew and understood our intelligence gathering capabilities would have known immediately that the statements made by Secretary Kerry could not be true. I want to be clear. They could not be true. I don't know if anyone lied or if it was misinformation fed to Kerry at some point or if he knowingly made false claims. I don't have any insight into that. But what I can say 
is that the entire set of claims made by Kerry in, in that uh, voice record are just simply not true. Now, let me give you an example. He refers to a map that they have. Well, the map was published in a White House intelligence report that was released to the public. So we know exactly what the map looks like. Can't say, t- say whether it's accurate or not, because it contains a lot of information about rebel-controlled areas. And I, you know, I, I have no way of knowing what's rebel-controlled or not. But I do know what's in the map he referred to. So it's his reference to the map. He claims in the map that he knows where the rockets were launched from. Potentially, that's potentially, I won't underscore, potentially possible. But because we do have satellites, a rocket of the kind that was launched has a a rocket motor burn of about two seconds. So it's very short in time. But it can be seen from these satellites deep in space that we now have. The problem with it is you can't tell what direction. It, It burns out so fast that all you know is that a rocket was launched. You know the time the rocket motor burned, which is about two seconds. So you can infer from that that that's that it was an artillery rocket, but you can't tell if it's going north, south, east, or west, first of all. Secondly, his claim that the rockets fell in a certain area and that we saw it from satellites cannot be true. So the claim that the satellites were able to see where the rockets fell cannot be true. This is absolutely basic science. The rockets had a, were basically launching... A barrel, you can think of them as barrel rockets almost. There's a rocket that has a barrel of sarin at the front end. So it's a barrel with an inner sleeve that the rocket motor slips up into the barrel to hold the rocket in place. And it launches the whole barrel toward a target. Now, the barrel has no explosive charge in it. It just hits the ground, splatters. Dr. Postal, how much... Sarin is in that. Is it several kilograms or more? It was about 50 liters of sarin. So, so that's a lot of sarin, uh, if the sarin is potent. And so what happens is the rocket hits the ground. It's traveling, I don't know, 300, 400 miles per hour when it hits the ground. It just splatters. You know, the, the barrel just breaks open and splatters the sarin all over the place. The sarin, most of it drops to the ground. In fact, Basically, probably all of it drops to the ground, and it creates a moist layer of sarin on the ground, which then starts to evaporate, and the evaporating gases are carried downwind. So that's the mechanism. You can't see that from a satellite because you need an intense source of light that uh, exists, that's bright enough and exists long enough for the satellite to pick that up. And the satellites, there's no light. There's no light to be seen. So that's simply untrue what he said. Now, was he told the wrong thing? It's, it's hard to understand how the director of national intelligence didn't know this simple fact. But I have to say, I've never been impressed with Mr. Clapper in, in listening to him talk about anything that has a technical component to it. So, so maybe he didn't know too, but it's a bad thing if the director of national intelligence understands our own intelligence capabilities so poorly that he would allow false intelligence of this kind to be repeated by the Secretary of State. So there's a problem there from my point of view. Getting to the map. The map shows that if the rockets were to land in the area we know they landed, and we know where they landed because we have daylight photographs of the craters they produce. They produce shallow craters. People went around and took photographs of the craters. 
So knowing where the craters were produced is not hard. And in each of the craters, you, you could see the carcass of the rocket motor that was used to launch the barrel. And you could see, you know, sheet metal and metal plates that the barrels were constructed from. So that's not hard to identify. But it's certain that the satellites did not see them after they hit the ground at that, on that night. So then the next issue is where did they land? Well, we know where they landed because we have that data after the attack. And you would have needed rockets that had well over a 10-kilometer range for those rockets to have hit in the areas we know they landed in because we do know where they landed from you know, subsequent inspections. So you're, you're saying that, that it was 10 kilometers away from, from the, the areas that were controlled by the Assad government? Controlled by the Syrian government. Right. Because the assertion made by the secretary was that these areas were controlled by the Syrian government and they were launched into contested areas. Contested areas means areas that were not under control of the Syrian government. So you would have had to have about a 10-kilometer range to achieve these objectives, probably, probably a little more, but let's just say 10 kilometers. So when you do the physics of the rocket, and we know exactly what the physics of the rocket is because we know the rocket motors were scavenged from artillery rockets, standard artillery rockets that typically launch artillery shells, and we know that the barrels were filled with sarin. We know they had to be filled with sarin because... When you do the aerodynamic analysis of the rocket, which we do, under, which we do have, we, do, we can do, we know that if the barrels of sarin were not filled, the rocket would have tumbled end over end and its range would have been much shorter. And we know that the range of the rocket was maybe two or two and a half kilometers. This is determined purely by basic physics, the so, most basic, simple, ballistic physics. So, no magic here. So it, now, it had no chance of traveling 10 kilometers? No, yeah. no. If you look at the areas around where the rockets fell, you quickly conclude that the rockets had to be launched from a perimeter around the area where they fell at about a range of two to two and a half kilometers. It's just that simple. It's just like simply taking a, a ruler and a map on their map. Well, I didn't draw that map. It's their map. Yeah, that map, I think, came from Human Rights Watch. And, it doesn't uh, matter. They yeah. certified the map as correct. No, that, that's right. Them in the New York Times, actually. Let They're me, the ones certifying the map. I'm just a New England school teacher looking at it. <laughs> well, let me, as a New England school teacher, let me go through a few more of his remarks in that little clip that we played and have you respond to those. Because he went on to say, we have declassified unprecedented amounts of information when, in fact, Robert Perry, who was alive at the time and one of our great investigative journalists, said that while Kerry made reference to alleged phone intercepts and other alleged evidence of Syrian government guilt, none of it has ever been released for independent analysis. Instead, the U.S. government put up a map showing where rockets carrying nerve gas supposedly had landed in parts of Damascus controlled by the rebels and contending that the launch sites had been in government-controlled areas. Just to move on. Let me make a comment on that. Sure, please do. The supposedly classified information that was referred to by Secretary Kerry has no relevance to the finding that his earlier statements can't be true. Right. In other words, saying that somebody phoned me and said gravity goes the other way or you know, the sky is green, not red, or something like that, that's irrelevant. Intercepting data, interpreting it properly requires lots of steps 
put together into something meaningful. Mm. And it doesn't matter because the meaningful outcome is determined by science, by physics right, here right. in this case. I, so it really doesn't matter that they supposedly had all these intercepts. I wouldn't believe the intercepts. If I were an intelligence officer, and I've worked with intelligence. I mean, I was in the Pentagon. I worked. You, you get pieces of intelligence. The most important pieces of intelligence, the ones you give the most weight, are things that you actually can measure. You know, if you can measure that a rocket has been launched from a given location, it doesn't matter that somebody phoned you up and said the rocket was launched and they give you the wrong location. You wouldn't believe the wrong location. You would believe the sensor that told you where the rocket was actually launched. Right. I think that the other point, though, that I think Perry is speaking to is that we are always promised this evidence. And then that, whether you want to call that evidence or not, which is not, as you just indicated, if we're going to go to war, the American public deserves to see on what basis. And if that doesn't meet the physics test, then what are we going to war on? And, and Well, I would say that the evidence he did present showed that either uh, he didn't know what he was talking about, which is clear, mm-hmm. or that somebody had lied to him, or that uh, the intelligence people had lied to him. You know, it's just, uh, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, from the point of view of an informed person who knows what the different systems he's making statements about can do. Well, and that's, that's the point. None of it's true. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he goes on, he says, and we ask the American people and the rest of the world to judge that information, which he has not released. And he says, we, we have, and this goes back to what you were just visiting on, but he goes, we have physical evidence where the rockets came from and when. Not one rocket landed in regime-controlled territory, not one, like that means anything, really. All, well, all, all, it, all of, they all had to be launched from uh, other areas. <laughs> right, right, right. All of them landed in opposition-controlled or contested territory. Well, duh. I mean, we understand that. Uh, the question is, could it have been launched by the rebels themselves and then blamed on the Assad government in order to cross the red line? You know, I, I guess at that point in time, what we are clear on is that the Assad government had the upper hand in this conflict significantly and that for them to go ahead and launch such a missile gas attack in the absence of gaining any strategic advantage, in fact, it's opposite, makes no sense. Under the guise of this red line deal, but more than that, the UN inspectors had just landed outside of Damascus, not more than two or three miles or staying at a hotel, been there since just two or three days prior they actually had come, I think, to, to examine the Khan al-Assal gas attack that the Syrian government had requested they come for. But let me return to the withholding of evidence. Kerry claims publicly that unprecedented amounts of classified information had been declassified, but none of that declassified information that was released contained incontrovertible evidence that Assad government executed any of these gas attacks. Perry's other point was, returning to his October 24, 2013 article, Chemical Weapons Attack, Treating Anti-Syria Charges as Flat Fact, he writes, Think of President John Kennedy exposing the U-2's high-resolution photo capabilities to show the world the Soviet missiles in Cuba in 1962. President Ronald Reagan revealing the U.S. ability to intercept Soviet air communications 
after the KAL-007 shootdown in 1983. Even President George W. Bush authorizing Secretary of State Colin Powell to reveal phone intercepts in support of the Iraq invasion in 2003. Granted, some of those revelations, like the KAL-007 and Iraq intercepts, were doctored to make a propaganda case, but exposure of the intelligence capabilities was real. Therefore, he concludes... Quote, it's hard to believe that the Obama administration's sources and methods regarding the August 21st, 2013 incident are any more sensitive than the intelligence techniques released by earlier presidents. The world surely knows that the United States can intercept phone calls and has satellites that can record both visual and infrared images with great precision. End quote. And this is my conclusion, not necessarily Bob Perry's conclusion before he passed. Therefore, the failure to release such incontrovertible evidence that we may have, that Kerry alludes to, really suggests we have no evidence, and therefore it's a big lie. But anyhow, just to go through the last two or three lines of, of Kerry's speech that we, or, or the beginning of it, he says, not one rocket landed in regime-controlled territory, not one. All of them landed in opposition-controlled or contested territory. We have a map physical evidence showing every geographical point of impact, and that's concrete. We are certain that none of the opposition had the capacity to effect a strike of this scale. And this is another misrepresentation, Dr. Postal. The rebels actually did have such capacities. The U.S. military confirmed that the rebels had sarin in a piece back on 9-11 of 2013. Michael Maloff, who's a former senior security policy analyst in the office of the Secretary of Defense and author of the book A Nation Forsaken, reported that the classified document shows this deadly weapon found in the home of arrested Islamists. The document called Classified Secret Forward Slash No Foreign, N-O-F-O-U-R-N, quote, not for foreign distribution, came from the U.S. intelligence community's uh, National Ground and in, uh, Intelligence Center, or NGIC, and was made available. The document says sarin from al-Qaeda in Iraq made its way into Turkey, and that while some was seized, more could have been used in the attack last March, referring to Khan al-Assal, on civilians and Syrian military soldiers. And before we discuss this matter anymore, we are backed up against our break and need to take a quick break. Dr. Postal, please hang on, and we'll be right back after a brief pause for the cause. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby Austin. This is the premier community radio station of the nation. Back after this. 